Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the latest trends in enterprise tech? Look no further than the Breaking Analysis podcast with Dave Vellante. This data-driven program dives into the most important topics facing the enterprise tech industry today. With a data-first approach that leverages ETR's renowned surveys of IT decision makers and insight from the Cube community, Breaking Analysis delivers in-depth research on the most important topics facing technologists and IT buyers. Whether you're a business leader, an IT professional, investor, or just an avid follower of the industry, this podcast is a must-listen. Just search Breaking Analysis Podcast wherever you get your podcast and tune in today to stay ahead of the game in enterprise tech. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody is doing well. March comes in like a lion, goes out like a lamb. Uh, we are getting really close to springtime, uh, 2023, 2023. Wow. Um, yeah, the year is is moving along. We are about halfway through March, probably almost two-thirds of the way through March by the time you listen to this. Uh, spring is among us and uh, lots going on, uh, both uh, in just the world in general, as well as the tech industry. And this is uh, this is going to be kind of a slightly different Sunday Perspective show. Usually Sunday Perspectives, I'm able to kind of distill down the week, uh, distill down a couple of different topics, try and draw a line through them, um, you know, and kind of put some perspective around things. Um, this one, this week feels a little bit different just because it feels like there's so much going on. Um, to a certain extent, like there's a lot going on sort of in normal life. So, you know, on one hand, we have uh, we have all these good TV shows coming out right now for their their spring season. So whether you're, you know, uh, the end of The Last of Us or Succession or Billions or Ted Lasso or whatever it is, all these shows are coming out with uh, their seasons are starting again. It feels like their last season. There's a lot of anticipation around those things that can get us distracted. Uh, the weather is getting better. Springtime in um, some parts of the world, or I guess the fall in some parts of the world is starting up. So anytime the weather changes, we want to get, want you to get outside. You want to think less about technology, go enjoy the world. Um, you know, if you're in the United States, March Madness is, is going on. You're hearing about brackets. You're hearing about bracket chaos, you know, teams winning, teams losing. And it feels like every week is a little bit different. It's hard to kind of wrap your head around it. And then obviously uh, we've got, uh, you know, the thing that that dominated last week and, and what I talked about last weekend show uh, kind of the, the, the brittleness, the perceived brittleness of the banking industry, not just Silicon Valley Bank, but we saw a couple of banks um, go under uh, this weekend. We, you know, we've seen the crypto banks go under. Uh, but we've seen some sort of uh, non-crypto banks go under. Uh, so, um, some concern about things like Credit Suisse and just a lot of what feels like March Madness going on right now. Like, there's a lot to keep us distracted. There's a lot of sort of big news in there. And so this week was a little tougher to kind of put together a topic for Sunday Perspective. So what I'm going to try and do is talk about three topics, um, one having to do with AI, one having to do with security, and one having to do with kind of cloud competition that I think have some longer term ramifications. Um, this feels a little bit like like a cloud news of the week, but uh, extended format. Um, so I'm going to dive into kind of three topics after the break in which we look at um, some things that were announced this week or some things that were kind of discussed this week that I think could have some some much bigger ramifications, um, you know, in terms of what the cloud landscape is going to look like over the next three, four, five years, both from a technology perspective, how it could impact you, your job, your productivity, but also a competitive nature, and then kind of some some bigger geopolitical uh, ramifications uh, kind of all woven in together. So we're going to get into those three big topics right after the break. Is your cloud bill out of control? 
Cloud Zero is building a platform that will let you analyze your cloud investment faster than ever before. You'll get accurate, granular visibility into your total cloud spend without the typical pitfalls of legacy cloud cost management tools like endless tagging or clunky Kubernetes support. Cloud Zero is how cloud-driven companies gain more financial control and predictability by driving immediate and ongoing savings. You can answer questions like, how can I save 20% of my cloud bill right now? Who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? Join companies like Rapid7, Drift, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com slash cloudcast to get started today. Again, please visit cloudzero.com slash cloudcast to get started today. KubeCon and CloudNativeCon Europe 2023 is coming to Amsterdam on April 18th to 21st. The Cloud Native Computing Foundation's flagship conference gathers adopters and technologists from leading open source and cloud native communities to knowledge share as well as further the cloud native ecosystem. The conference offers in-person as well as virtual registration options. As a special offer for listeners, we're offering complimentary virtual registration. Please use the code KCEUVCCP while supplies last. We'll put that in the show notes. You don't have to remember it. That's KCEUVCCP. And we're back. And, you know, as I mentioned, uh, you know, kind of a chaotic time, uh, chaotic in the in the March Madness sense of, you know, if you're if you're in the United States, you know what March Madness is, you know, it's the uh, the annual college basketball tournament that goes on uh, for three weekends in a row. It is uh, back to back to back basketball games all the time. Um, Some Cinderella stories, some some big wins. Uh, Everybody keeps a bracket. Sort of everybody in the country is betting on it. If you're outside of the States, think of this as like. Not on the exact same level, but it's sort of like the World Cup of of basketball. Uh, you know, sort of the same sort of frenzy that the rest of the world has about the World Cup, and um, uh, you know, pods or the you know the the play in games and sort of the whatever they call it, the the knockout rounds and all that sort of stuff. You know, the chaos that goes out with it. Much more upsets in the you know U.S. Uh, March Madness thing than we we tend to see in uh, in the World Cup. But same sort of fever, same sort of thing where people are watching it all the time and being distracted at work and all that kind of stuff. Anyways, uh, it sort of sets the tone for March, it feels like, um, in which there's always a little bit more chaos than maybe some other months, uh, but we're also seeing uh, you know, us transitioning from one season to the next, and, and obviously um, that has lots of, of interesting sort of ramifications as well. So I want to dive into three stories that I saw this week, um, not so much from a Cloud News of the Week perspective. Aaron does have been doing a really good job with that lately, uh, but three that I saw that really kind of got me thinking, okay, um, these are interesting in a big context sense. And I kind of want to weave them together to a certain extent. Some of them I might just leave alone. We might do them as, as follow-up shows. So the first one is, um, you know, if you've been listening to the show, I, I think the big story of the year has really been, and the last six months have really been, um, just the amazing pace at which we're seeing, uh, you know, AI and, and not, and, I, and I'm AI in the context of Everybody can use it, right? This 2023 feels like the year of, of sort of AI for everybody as opposed to AI for data scientists or AI for headlines or whatever. This is really, you know, whether it's ChatGPT3, the new ChatGPT4, all the clients that are coming out, but more importantly, the way that it's getting interwoven into the day-to-day things that just regular everyday people, not data scientists, not super math geniuses use. And so Microsoft had a really interesting announcement this week. It was sort of a, a weird announcement because it was streamed on on LinkedIn and it was sort of end to the middle middle to the end of the week. And 
that type of thing. Um, but they showed how they were going to integrate uh, what they're calling Copilot. It's interesting. They're, they're using the Copilot brand that GitHub had. Uh, they're sort of integrating that now throughout the Microsoft thing. So I think we're going to hear Copilot as a brand um, everywhere the same way that uh, you know, we office was ubiquitous everywhere. Um, but really we're showing, uh, this, this co-pilot AI driven, open AI driven, uh, functionality being embedded into, uh, the productivity suite. So Microsoft office, um, some of the other types of tools that we see. And I think what's really interesting about it is, you know, they're now bringing AI to the masses. And, you know, while we've had a lot of things behind the scenes and the tools that we use, whether it's like, you know, um, search, you know, auto, auto, you know, kind of auto complete and search and other sorts of things we've talked about, sort of the goalpost move a little bit. This feels like a much deep, bigger leap. And what's really interesting about it is a, it is, you know, again, the third, fourth, fifth decade of Microsoft being really relevant, um, you know, and, and leveraging all of the investment they've made around cloud, whether it's been enough or not, um, you know, people can argue that type of thing, but, um, you know, really trying to be, Again, in the middle of everyday everyday workers, everyday experience, um, just the same way that office was, you know, critical to you know knowledge work becoming sort of a, a mainstream type of thing in the '90s and 2000s and 2010s. Um, this feels like you know that happening again, and obviously Microsoft has a humongous footprint. Uh, uh, you know, whether you start with Bing or whether you're starting more likely with the productivity tools that you have, whether it's teams or whatever it is, um, this feels very, very big. Um, not so much just purely from a Microsoft perspective, but when there's the opportunity to bring AI to the masses, um, yes, there will be people who will argue, well, you know, what is this going to do? Is this going to get rid of a lot of jobs? I think it's going to change the nature of work. Um, it's going to change, a couple of things. It's yes, there may be some jobs that get replaced because somebody can just type in uh, some stuff in chat GPT and you get rid of, you know, call center workers or, you know, inside sales workers or whatever it might be, who knows. But I think what it really starts to do is it starts to move, um, you know, spending of, of, of some of the easy to do type of things like, oh, just go write these things to, um, it's going to shift people to have to be more strategic, right? So you now have this resource that, you know, is your co-pilot, whatever, whatever it is, it's an assistant that's going to do this work, but you not only have to be strategic about what you do because now everybody has access to this resource. So you're going to get lots of people who say like, Hey, chat GPT, write me a sales email, uh, for a prospect with these services. So you're going to get a lot of sameness. So you're going to need to be creative, think strategically about how do I, undo the sameness that the computer system is going to give me. But more importantly, you're also going to have to have domain expertise because you're going to put in some things. It's going to spit stuff out to you and you've got to be able to figure out, oh, well, that was incredibly easy, but is it correct? Is it, is it accurate? Is it persuasive? Is it, you know, whatever it might be, um, it's going to force folks to figure out domain expertise very, very quickly. And, and that's really interesting, right? We're, we're going to get, things will improve, things will get better. Um, it will make it easier for you to go, oh, I have to crank out a couple of pages of context. Like I have a starting point, I have a template, which, you know, for a lot of folks is like the hardest part. You have a blank sheet of paper and you're trying to figure out how to build something. Um, it's going to help, uh, you know, 
that low code citizen developer um, type of person be able to start being productive. Like, oh, I have an idea for an application. I just don't know what the code looks like. Um, we're starting to see some examples of like, oh, it will write those things for you. So that's really, really exciting. I think, um, again, since we're bringing this to the masses, I, you know, the, the, the exercise that I'm starting to do in my head, and I, I suggest other people consider doing it, is like, take some time, take a day, take a half a day, and really think about, you know, how could you use these things to make your group, your organization, uh, your team, yourself more productive, right? Don't get yourself wrapped up in the, oh my gosh, is this going to, is this going to displace my job? Oh my gosh, you know, am I going to get found out to be, uh, you know, an imposter or whatever? Like, but really think about like, how could I start to use this thing and start experimenting with it, right? Start thinking about the things that you do in your day-to-day life and figure out like, how could I begin to use this to save yourself 30 minutes writing that document that you are like, oh, it's going to take me a long time. I do that repetitively. Or, um, you know, we have to do these things. Maybe you're writing ad copy because you're in marketing. Maybe you're writing emails to customer prospects. Maybe you're thinking about writing some basic code, like start experimenting with it. I think we have a tendency sometimes with technology to think about the downside of it. Oh, you know, is this bad? I I think this is going to be an, an instance where you have an opportunity to be really creative with it. Um, and, you're not really sure where to start, which is perfectly fine. But the best way to start is to just sort of experiment. And again, the nice thing about this is this is not, it's only useful if you're a programmer. It's only useful if you have five or 10 years of some experience. Like this feels like something that anybody can use. And it feels like for anybody that makes an investment in it, in their time uh, and, and their creativity and their experiments and their mistakes, um, your learning curve may be faster than, than other people. So um, it, it, it seemed like a really big deal that Microsoft was uh, embedding this now in the stuff that is going to be used by everybody, sort of democratizing um, democratizing this. And I don't think we could say that three months ago or six months ago. So this feels like the beginning of, of something very, very big. Uh, the second thing that was on there, um, and this was uh, something that Corey Quinn, um, who we've had on the show a number of times, a lot of people know him, uh, um, you know, as the, as the cloud economist on, on Twitter and so on and so forth, writes a really interesting newsletter last week in AWS. And he brought something up in his newsletter talking about um, how the U.S. government, so there's an article in there about, um, you know, the U.S. government is, you know, trying to put some standards in place, some guidelines in place to uh, ensure that the cloud is, is secure. And the whole reasoning for this is, Obviously, uh, the government is trying to, you know, prevent attacks from um, foreign entities, um, bad guys, if you will, um, you know, trying to protect some of the, the the fundamental principles of the government, in this case, democracy, um, from um, basically like propaganda and other sort of stuff in which if you got control of the medium of communication or the systems in which people are reliant upon, um, you can create a lot of havoc. You can create a lot of chaos in the system. And, um, you know, so they're trying to create situations in which there's stability and that they can, you know, prevent sort of the chaos that can happen in the speed of the internet. Just like we saw the run on Silicon Valley Bank was partially driven just by the speed of the internet, the speed in which we can communicate, the speed in which Information can get out there, but also misinformation, potentially false information, and just sort of chaotic type of things. They're trying to put some stuff in place. So anyways, Corey's point about this was one of the barriers that they're running into is that there are lots of known best practices to try and secure environments. Because obviously there's one thing which is like, you know, disinformation, non-disinformation, 
but also if things get hacked, you can create the appearance that uh, information which should be coming from known trusted sources is not trusted anymore. Those types of things. Also, you know, potentially taking out critical infrastructure that you might need in order to be able to propagate good information or um, life saving information, whatever it might be. And his argument was, um, you know, and the government sort of highlights this as they're trying to lay out this plan for trying to make this secure is um, turning on a lot of these security features is an extra cost. And so it brings up the interesting argument of if the cloud provider, if the application provider knows what good security looks like, what the best defaults should be, should those be turned on by default? And should they just come as part of the uh, kind of the the base pricing for stuff, right? So in, in essence, should good security just be part of everything or should it be an extra thing, right? So an example of this, and this is a super simplistic, maybe bad example is like, by default, an Amazon S3 bucket is, at least for a long time, I think it's been tweaked here recently, um, was open. It wasn't sort of locked down by default. So think of it as like it defaulted to um, open and uh, freedom of access and you know lots of good things could happen because it's simple to get to and so on and so forth. It wasn't default to secure, locked down, trying to avoid <clears throat> you know information being hacked and so forth. And again, there are arguments to be made on both sides of that argument, but Corey's point was, um, and this is kind of aligned to you know where the where the government's kind of pushing standards is, you know these things have become really critical. Um, they're no longer just sort of like nice tools to have. They're no longer just like, oh, smart builders will use these tools because it gives them agility. It's like these things have become day to day must have critical infrastructure for society. Um, at large, not just in the United States, but all over the world. And should we, if if there are known good ways to make those things secure, should those things be default or should they cost extra? Because the problem of them costing extra, um, especially if they're optionally costing extra, is, you know, does that dissuade people from using it because they go, oh, well, it's not in my budget or I don't know if I'm going to be able to get this past the purchasing person, right? Like I, I kind of got the basic thing, but this, this is a 15, 20% uplift or whatever it might be. And so it does bring up a really interesting discussion of, of kind of two things. One, you know, are we going to reach a point in which we look at these massive utility computing, hyper cloud, hyper scale cloud environments as like utilities in which we will start to see them get regulated in some way, shape or form in terms of their stability the same way that many countries do their utility grids you know whether that's water or electric or whatever that's one whole discussion and the second one is let's say they're not which again may very well happen the way they are today you know should critical baseline security things be on by default and if they are great right we live in a more secure type of world because people aren't all security experts the flip side of it is you know, we've always seen people sort of go, well, the more security you turn on, the less I can make work by default. I'm less agile. I have to involve the security group, blah, blah, blah. And I think there's an interesting argument to be made there. I think, you know, what we tend to find is um, people use security being on as an excuse for why they can't do things as opposed to going, let me understand what you're doing. I will work around it. I will continue to make good user experiences. But I think, you know, once we start to have a bigger conversation, a bigger context around 
security, reliability of things, um, you know, it, it does, it, it probably should bring us back to, um, you know, should security be a, you know, good security beyond by default? And then how do we make teams continue to be productive when those are the new defaults or the new rules, if you will? So I think that's going to be an interesting conversation that we'll see going on here in, uh, in 2023 and beyond. <clears throat> and then third one that I saw that was interesting, and this is something that I know I've talked to a lot of people about, um, industry analysts and others. I don't know that I've ever really talked about it on the podcast, which is weird because I feel like I've had this conversation like like a thousand times. Um, but this is another article that I was reading in Corey's newsletter um, in which he called it, uh, you know, AWS's hidden anti-competitive move is hidden in plain sight. And again, kind of forget, forget the article title. Uh, there's a link to it in the show notes. Basically what he says is <clears throat> if you are – if you are somebody who is, um, you know, building software that could be used on one of the cloud providers, so in this case, AWS. So let's say, for example, you are a company that builds a Kubernetes distribution. So let's say you're like Red Hat OpenShift, or you are a company that builds a database um, and that you know involves SQL Server or something like that, whatever it might be. Um, and you go to the market and you sell that to customers. In order for customers to use that in the best way possible, they are likely going to, um, you know, want to build high availability into it. And once you start building high availability into it, um, you know, you are going to m- most likely use multiple regions, uh, multiple availability zones, in order to be able to accomplish that. And the cost of doing that goes up because AWS not only charges the customer or the user for the compute of it, but they charge you for uh, inter-region uh, networking costs, right? Now, that in and of itself is fine. Where he kind of gets into these this sort of anti-competitive claim um, is when Amazon offers a similar type of service, so RDS, for example, or EKS um, as a you know competitive to that software version of, of a Kubernetes or a database or something else, um, in their service, when they provide high availability, they do not in, uh, include the networking charges for that intra-region, uh, inter-AZ, or uh, inter-AZ or inter-region type of traffic. So in essence, it's, um, you know, network bandwidth is free when their service runs it. And I think what he highlights is something, and this is the point that I've made to a number of people, is, you know, um, AWS, on one hand, wants to get as much traffic as possible into their cloud. So they they need to be partnering with lots of different software vendors and um, need to be open to working with uh, open open source projects and all these sort of things. But they do take advantage of the fact that they are the only ones who can control the cost of internal networking, also external networking to a certain extent. And they use that to their advantage, um, their competitive advantage. And whether or not that's a good thing or not, Again, it's sort of debatable. Um, I've sort of argued that they're able to compete against open source projects more effectively because they can essentially subsidize, um, you know, the cost of running that software or even the software itself uh, because, you know, they're able to monetize based based on the fact that you must be on their compute, you must be on their storage, you must be on their networking. Um, and it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. I mean, it is, you know, it is the the benefit of somebody going, well, I, I built all this stuff. I have the capital expenditures to building all these things. Um, I should be able to take advantage of those as competitive differentiations. But at the same time, I want the market as much as possible to use 
my offering. And, you know, so it, it does, I agree with Corey, it does create sort of a weird dynamic in that it's both subsidizing against open source projects or even just software as a whole when they, especially open source, when they offer the same same open source as a managed service, um, but also the fact that they don't sort of treat cost and pricing the same way, um, you know, does create some, some interesting things, right? So for, you know, for, we're using AWS in this example, the same sort of example sort of applies to, to other clouds as well. Corey just tends to focus on AWS because obviously it's the largest, um, but it does create some, some weird dichotomy of like, am I always doing the best thing for the customer or am I really kind of doing the best thing for AWS first and then the customer second? And again, this is one of these things in which, you know, what tends to happen over time is the mantra of some company. So take Google's don't be evil, you know, was cheered and applauded early in the days. And over time, people sort of go, okay, well, you know, that's not really your mantra anymore. It's going to be very interesting to watch uh, as AWS evolves because every every company, as they become larger, they have bigger target goals to meet, bigger revenue numbers to meet. Um, they start to look for ways in which they can, uh, you know, start to make a little bit of money here and a little bit of money there that maybe they didn't in the past. Um, and this is, yeah, Corey, I think highlights a really interesting thing of, you know, what will be the perspective of AWS towards their customers, towards their partners? Um, you know, when is, you know, when is partnership good for them? When is partnership competitive for them? You know, they're never clean cut types of things, right? They always are sort of these evolving gray areas. And this is a, a kind of an interesting highlighted point um, in which, you know, they're taking advantage of something that they, you know, they've made huge investments in. So, you know, you don't want to necessarily waste those investments, but it is somewhat of a different perspective on, are they always doing the best thing for the customer, giving the customer the most choice? Or is this, you know, just sort of slightly nudging towards more and more of kind of locking you into what they do or kind of putting their thumb on the scale of which way do we want you to operate things? It's an interesting thing. It's an interesting point. And I think it's uh, something that, again, we've talked about it for a while. It may not be completely new, but it's an interesting new discussion about the way that AWS is sort of shifting their perspective on partners and customers that maybe wouldn't have been the case five years ago, 10 years ago. So anyways, kind of wanted to highlight those three things. Um, again, sorry for the the different uh, format in this week's Sunday perspective. I know usually we kind of try and plow through one thing and connect the dots. But this week, again, because of the sort of chaos and madness that happens in March, um, we get a little bit of scatterbrained uh, Sunday perspective. So thanks for putting up with it. Um, thanks for the feedback on the on the Silicon Valley Bank show. Uh, I saw a few people say, oh, you really should have dove into a lot of other things. Um, quite honestly, I feel good about that show for the most part because we highlighted how some of these basic banking things work that I think lots of people ask us about. And quite, quite honestly, between the time we... Uh, recorded on say Saturday, uh, Sunday, there was some, you know, change in what happened Monday. There was some change in what happened. It would have been kind of a waste of the show because so much changed, uh, in just two days from the specifically Silicon Valley bank perspective. So we'll go back and put some things in the show notes, um, about how things got resolved. Um, if people want to read about that from last week's show, but, uh, anyways, as always, we appreciate the feedback. Um, you know, excited about, uh, springtime coming up, about warmer weather. Um, excited about uh, a lot of really interesting guests coming up. Um, we are, you know, kind of, uh, got a new batch of them. Aaron and I are booked out through May and, and, uh, really excited about a bunch of guests. So thank you all for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for helping us grow the community. Uh, like we mentioned uh, a few weeks ago, we're coming up on the 12 millionth listen. Um, I wish I knew exactly who it was, but, uh, really excited that, uh, 
we're hitting that milestone and uh, we're on to 13 million, 14 million, you know, kind of hoping to keep bringing you guys really good, really good topics, trying to learn together. And, uh, you know, your feedback is, is always, always welcome. So any, any ideas you have, feel free to send them to us show at the cloudcast.net. So with that, I'm gonna wrap it up. We are getting close, hopefully to, uh, the spring season, uh, the pollen being done, my voice being hoarse, but, uh, thanks for putting up with it. So thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.